If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 119. Um, If you're new here, uh, we have been in a summer series in the book of Psalms. As I mentioned recently, the book of Psalms is one of the most quoted Old Testament books in the New Testament. The Psalms give us vocabulary for prayer. They teach us to pray. The Psalms address every human emotion, and they help shape us emotionally. They were given as prayers and songs for the people of God to be sung throughout history. You see, God has wired us for story, right? And he's wired us to enjoy music. And, And there are stories that are rehearsed through these psalms, there are truths about God, truths about redemptive history that are rehearsed through these songs. And as the worshiper sings these psalms, they're being shaped emotionally, spiritually, theologically by the truths of these psalms. Today, we are planning to look at the largest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. Um, I don't think I've uh, preached a sermon on this, this psalm uh, before. There are 176 verses in Psalm 119. And I must admit that it, w- it was challenging for me to try an outline because of how much is there. Um, and so <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to look at the blessings of a Bible saturated life. And we're going to hone in on the first part of Psalm 119, and then I'm going to pull some specific blessings or benefits for you and I who saturate our lives in the Bible. Okay? As parents, this is something we want for our children. We want the influence of God's word to be stronger than all the voices around them in culture that are telling them things contrary to the truth of what God says. And so my wife and I have, we've we've tried a number of different approaches to try to engage our children in Bible reading, memorization, catechism. We've even tried rewards with payments, money. All right, now we haven't offered a whole lot of money because we're not that rich. We're, you know, the dollar family, we'll give a dollar, right? A dollar a verse, right? Uh, but the other day, we've done that. We've done at least a dollar. So the other day, I was riding in the car with my, my 12-year-old son, now 12-year-old son, Carson. And I asked him, I said, son, if, I were, if you were to get $20 for every Bible verse that you were to memorize, how much do you think you would be in your Bible? Would you, would you read it every day? He was like, yeah, I think so. I would read it every day. Maybe every other day sometimes, but I'll, I'll read it every day. 20 bucks a Bible verse. I will work hard to make money by memorizing the scripture. And, and it wasn't long before he caught on to where I was going with this, right? If, if, if 20 bucks motivates you to open that book in which there are great treasures, The the psalmist says in Psalm 119, I rejoice at your word as one who has found great treasure, okay? There are treasures of wisdom 
life, encouragement, hope in the Bible. If, if, if we'll do that for the motivation of some money, all right, how much more should we do that for the motivation of getting closer to God, knowing his will for our lives, getting wisdom from him, right, understanding, and all the treasures and the benefits, joy, and so on that he gives through his word, through us believing his word, through us hearing his word, reading his word, studying his word, meditating on his word, obeying his word, applying his word to our lives. There are great benefits to those who saturate themselves in scripture. Yet there are also barriers. There's barriers that keep each of us from spending adequate time in the scripture. Um, a study that was done by the American Bible Society in 2021 noted that 11% of Americans say they interact with their Bible daily, just 11%. 5% do so four to, to six times a week. 9% connect with Scripture several times a week. 9% say once a week. 8% say once a month. And 8% say three to four times per year. And so over, over the, the years that I've been a Christian, almost coming up on 25 years, I've heard many excuses for, for why um, Christians don't read their Bibles. And I've had my fair share of them as well, okay? Uh, some of the, 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 the excuses that I've heard is I don't, I don't have enough time. I don't like to read, all right? Anybody, anybody in that camp? or it's a struggle for you to read, I can't understand the Bible. I've heard this one, I don't need to read the Bible to be a Christian. Or I fall asleep when I, when I read the Bible, right? These are some of the, some of the excuses and, and, and some of the reasons given for, for why many Christians don't in, engage in, in the Bible, engage with, and underneath that, I just, I wonder what is that, what, what's the drive and, and the, the, the root issue underneath that? I mean, if, and for you, when you look at your own Christian life, what's been your struggle when it comes to open up, opening up the pages of Scripture? Is it, is it an unbelief? Is it an addiction to busyness, entertainment, social media, or something else? Is it an unbelief that, that God's Word is authoritative? It's a treasure. It's sweet. It's wisdom. It's guidance. What are those barriers? My, my aim this morning is not to guilt or shame anyone into reading the Bible and say, you need to read your Bible. Shame on you if you haven't, because that's not going to help anybody here this morning. But my aim this morning is to set before you the treasure of Scripture and for you to see the beauty of Scripture laid out in Psalm 119 and for you to taste for yourself that the Scriptures are good and sweet and, and transformative in our lives and they carry great benefits for those of us who saturate our lives in them. All right? You know, as parents, we try to get our children to eat, all right? And we set before them meals. My wife can make some very yummy meals, right? And, 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 and every day we encourage them to eat breakfast if they haven't eaten breakfast, right? It's not, only, it's not merely that they have to eat breakfast. They get to eat breakfast. They get something good, something sweet, something nourishing, something that would give them energy for the day. 
so that they can go about their business. And food is good. We can all agree on that, right? And say amen. amen. Food is good. Steaks are good. Chicken nuggets with Chick-fil-A sauce are good. As it's been said, when God closes one door, he opens another Chick-fil-A. God's word is good, and it's sweeter than honey, the psalmist says. And so let's, let's go ahead and look at Psalm 119. We're going to read the first two sections. So there are 22 sections, stanzas in Psalm 119, and each stanza begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This is helpful for memory, Okay. Uh, this isn't the only psalm that does this, but there's a, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And these were prayers and songs to be sung. How many of us learned the ABCs, by the way, by singing A, B, C, D, E, F, G? The power of melody that has affected us and helped us to learn something and memorize something. The psalms are like that. They're songs to be sung. They were put together with music and melody, and they helped the people of God in an oral culture to remember the very words of God. So Psalm 119, if you all would stand with me, let's read this together. Starting in verse one. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimony, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong. But walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn of your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man cleanse his way? How can, I'm sorry, excuse me. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous out things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on the statues. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
Here's our big idea this morning. The scripture is God's authoritative word given to us so that we might know him, walk in his ways, and experience the benefits of a Bible-saturated life. The scripture is God's authoritative word given to us so that we might know him, walk in his ways, and experience the benefits of a Bible-saturated life. Throughout my walk as a Christian, there have been times where I have found my heart not as engaged in the Bible. For the most part, I have spent every morning of my Christian life reading the scripture and praying and worshiping. That just has been my rhythm. Early on in my walk, I, by God's grace, made it a priority to spend the very beginning of my day with God, with his word open, communing with him, talking with him, singing to him, delighting in him, letting my joy be be stirred and, 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 and letting my, my soul be made happy before I face the day so I don't go out grouchy in my own strength because um, I recognize my need for him. And so those times when I have felt less uh, desirous of Bible reading, right? And I think we all experience some dry times in some ways. There are things that fill our lives. The times that I have felt that, I have Turn to Psalm 119 to get inspiration and encouragement from the scriptures so that the flames would be stoked in my heart. That I would have my affections and my, my affections stirred, my attention set on God's word, and, and that I would devote myself as God has called each of us to, to be people of his word. And Psalm 119 is the longest psalm chapter in the Bible and it is a psalm that celebrates the glories, the beauty, the goodness, the sweetness of God's word, the blessing of those who are saturated with God's word. This is a psalm that for those of you who know who uh, William Wilberforce is, this was a a psalm that he had committed to memory. And in the midst of uh, turmoil of political crisis in, in London, William Wilberforce, in, 19, in 1819, he wrote this in his diary, walked from Hyde Park Corner repeating Psalm 119 in great comfort. Okay? Here's a godly man engaged in, in politics, and, and, and he was a man of the word, memorized, internalized Psalm 119, 176 verses as he's going about his day. There's a story of another man named George Wishart who was going to be killed. He was going to be, be killed and, and there, there was a custom at the time that, that one could choose a, a song to be sung before being executed. And guess what psalm he selected? Not Psalm 117 with just a few verses. He selected Psalm 119. Before two-thirds of the psalm had been sung, a pardon had, had arrived and his life was preserved. The length of the song, Charles Spurgeon says, was sagacious, sag, sagaciously, um, sagaciously, 
employed as the means of gaining time and happily the expedient exceeded. I bet he was really glad he selected a longer psalm there instead of like, just get it over with. Psalm 117, right? Psalm 119, and God was gracious to intervene and spare his life. God's word has power to change lives. God's word is, is it's vital and necessary for you and I to saturate our lives in it. And we get to, we don't merely have to, we get to feast on the words of life that come from God. In Psalm 119, there are, there are eight different Hebrew words that are given to describe scripture, to describe God's word. Okay, there is the word Torah. And Torah means simply just, it's the law or in, instruction. Um, Derek Kinder says that its parent verb means to teach. Therefore, coming from God, it means both law and revelation. It can be used of a single command or a whole body of law, especially the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And again, Scripture as a whole. It reminds us that revelation is not simply for interest, but for obedience. And so there's the law, the Torah, that, that is, is, is listed in Psalm 119. There's the testimonies of the Lord. Uh, the outspokenness of script it implies the outspokenness of scripture with the high standards and frank warnings using it, it it's implied the expression uh, that, that it's dependably de, de, it's dependability as the word of the faithful and true witness there's also the word precepts and statues and commands ordinances word and promise. And these are just some of the different words that are used to describe God's word. And there is a, a measure of parallelism placed within Psalm 119, where there are statements placed side by side for the purpose of explanation and the purpose of emphasis. And so we see the psalmist over and over talking about the law of the Lord, the testimonies of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the promise of uh, the word, uh, of God's word. And he's just kind of caught up with delight. He's caught up with this, this love for God's word and the revelation that God has given us through it. So as I said, there are a number of benefits, and I encourage you this week to read Psalm 119 and see if you can find a list of benefits or blessings for those who are saturated in God's word. And here's a list that I found. The very first one, we're going to launch from Psalm 119 verse 9, is found in verse 9 and verse 11. A purifying influence. The word of God has a sanctifying influence on the people of God. The psalmist, by the way, uh, it doesn't tell us that David wrote it. A lot of theologians think that David was the one who wrote this because of the nature of the psalm and his experiences, but possibly it was another psalmist. Either way, it was somebody who was very in love with God and, and devoted to God's word. And he says this, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. 
I have stored up your heart, stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Young people, this is a great section of scripture for you as you prepare to go back to school in the next week or so, okay? This is a great verse for you as you are in a season of youth in the, in the, young, in the young years of your life. It's good to ask this question, how can I live a pure life? I don't know many young people that are asking that question these days, but it's a great question to ask. And the psalmist asked the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? Or ladies, how can a young lady keep their way pure? And the answer is given in the text. If we're going to live a life of purity and save ourselves from a lot of pain that sin brings about in our lives, then we need to guard it according to the word. Or as the New King James says, take heed according to God's word. Incline your ears. Pay attention. Give your attention to the word of God. The word of God will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the word of God. I think D.L. Moody said that. The Bible will keep you from sin or, or sin will keep you from the Bible. And he, and he goes on in verse 11 and he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist says, your word, I've internalized it. I've put it in here. I've treasured it in my heart so that I won't sin against you. When temptation comes, when those voices come and I'm tempted to do those things that I ought not do, I have God's word stored and treasured in my heart to resist Satan, to resist sin. And this is something that as a young person and, and even now to this day that I have, this is something that I've done. I remember early on in my, my walk with the Lord, I was a part of a, a Bible study and I got to be a group leader in, in, a, in a several different Bible studies, a men's Bible study at, at my church. And one of the assignments every week, there was scripture memory. All right, and I was already I was already memorizing scripture, but I had other brothers like this guy named Jack Giggle who was leading the group, and he had us memorize scripture, and he was a stickler. I mean, you came and you got to have your verse, and he's like, he he's not you know he 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 was very firm. There was a gentle insistence when it came to memorizing scripture, and and so we went through these different like master life studies and discipleship studies and. And, and, and I was storing up God's word in my heart, and I was reading it on my own, and I found that I was finding victory in my thought life, victory in, in walking in purity because God's word was transforming my mind. I was being changed by the word. And, and you see, when we look into scripture, we see Jesus setting this example, the son of God who took on humanity Right, who became flesh and he dwelt among us, he treasured up the words of God in his heart. He had the words of God memorized and internalized. And so we read in, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil three times, every time he was tempted by the devil to sin, what did Jesus do? He pulled out the sword of the Spirit, 
And he said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. Okay? Which, by the way, he's quoting, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God told the Israelites, hey, I brought you out into the wilderness to test you, to humble you, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone. What we see with the Israelites was they failed the test in the wilderness. They grumbled. They complained. They were in unbelief. They failed the test. And so they, they had to keep retaking the test. For 40 years, they were in the wilderness. But Jesus comes. He lives 40 days in the wilderness, fasting. No, no, no food. He's fasting, and he passed the test. He was tempted by the devil, and he passed the test with the word of God. He stood with the word, word of God. And then uh, the devil came to him and said, um, uh, what did he say? He said, first, that he turned, turned his bread in the rock. And Jesus said, it's written, you shout, man does not live by bread alone. Then he said, hey, he brings them to, to f- jump off the temple. And he, and he says, you know, it's written. Then the devil's quoting scripture, right? The Bible, the devil knows the Bible better than, than, than most Christians or all Christians, right? So it, it's written, he, it, he, he, he will carry you. He'll give charge, his angels charge of you lest you dash your foot. Right? And then Jesus quoted again, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, Satan brought him to, uh, and he showed him the kingdoms of this world. And he said, all these are mine. If you'll bow down and worship me, you can have them. And Jesus said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and in him only shall you serve. Jesus stood with the word of God by saying, it is written. He pulled it out. He stood against sin. He stood against Satan. Young people, look at me. Are you storing up God's word in your heart? Are you putting it in your head and in your heart so that when sin comes knocking at your door, when the devil comes knocking at your door, you will be able to stand? If you want to live a godly life that honors him, then keep God's word in your heart. Treasure it in your heart. Kind of like a pantry. How many of y'all have a pantry? Okay. What goes in the pantry? Food. All right, if you go to Costco or Sam's, you stock up and you get good food. You get cereal, you get sugar, you get flour, you, you get food that you need so that when you're hungry, you can go and get it, right? The word of God is like food to us. It nourishes us. And we are to feast on the words of God. They will keep us from living a life of sin that dishonors God. The second thing is joy. Joy is a benefit of a Bible-saturated life. Notice what the psalmist says in verse 11 and verse 162. And, I, and I, didn't, I didn't collect all the verses from the psalm that would point us to a joyful life by, by being saturated by the Scripture. But verse 11, he says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. That may be 111. Uh, uh, 162 says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. Jeremiah, so flipping over to the prophet Jeremiah, he said, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me the joy and delight of my heart for I am called by your name, 
O Lord God of hosts. You know, over the years I've had people, Christians, brothers and sisters, encourage me. And just recently a, a brother encouraged me greatly. And he said, man, I just see the joy of God exuding from your life. And it was very encouraging for me to him affirm the grace of God that he sees in my life through joy that's coming out. And, and I have to say that one of the sources, one of the reasons why my life has been marked by joy is because of the Bible, the scripture, the word of God that I have taken in, I've received, I've believed, it has changed me, and it has produced joy and strength in my life as I've given place to God's word in my heart. Um, How many of y'all need more joy in your life? How many of y'all struggle to be joyful? All right. The word of God will help bring about joy in our lives. It'll help produce that. And And of course, the spirit as well, the spirit of God, joy is a fruit of the spirit and the spirit and the word work together right? And, and, and the Spirit points us to the Scripture, and the Spirit inspires the Scripture. And there's great joy for us to be had, like the psalmist had in God's Word. The, the next one is delight, which is, is very closely connected to joy. Delight, he says, in all the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 16, I will delight in your statues. I will not Forget your word. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Okay. Most of us like honey. I enjoy honey. I enjoy honey with peanut butter and bananas on toast. It's a breakfast for champions. All right? It gives me energy for the day. It's sweet. It's, It's enjoyable. It's an enjoyable breakfast to have, probably loaded with carbs, but it's good. There's some protein in there, some fruit, all right? There's some sugar, some sweetness in there. I could tell you about honey all day, okay? I could tell you about my favorite desserts all day. I could tell you about Andy's frozen yogurt or custard over in Lake Highlands. Hey, go try this place. It's a little expensive, but go try it. It's good stuff. There's, there's a crowd around this place. It's good. I could tell you about it all day, but you will not experience the delight and the pleasure of that sweetness until you go for yourself and you get a cup of ice cream yourself and you take a bite and you order one of those, one of those ice creams and you enjoy it for yourself. You take it in yourself. I could stand up here all day and talk about how sweet God's word is. It's so good. We, sh- we should read it. It's good. There's benefits in it. But you and I have to taste and see for ourselves that God is good, that his word is good, that his word is sweet and delightful. And as we do so, joy and delight will fill our hearts and it will inspire us to to worship God, to praise him. Another um, benefit of scripture is freedom. Freedom, the scripture, the truth of scripture liberates us. It sets us free. Anybody need freedom? Like you've struggled to, to be free. And whether it's a habit, whether it's just in your personality and insecurity, you're just 
just you struggle to be free and, and to fully live and be fully alive. By the way, uh, one person says that the glory of God is a human heart fully alive, right? God's glory is displayed through lives that are fully alive and free. The psalmist says, I will run the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. In the ESV, there's a little, there's a little note down there on the bottom that says, you know, it could be translated, for you set my heart free. Now, many people don't associate commandments in law with freedom, all right? And there certainly is a way that we can take God's word, his commands, and his law and be in bondage to legalism. And I don't think that the psalmist is a legalist. I think the psalmist genuinely loves God and wants to to obey God. And obedience to God and his word is not legalism, okay? Right, Some, some folks start getting, there's red flags when we start talking about obedience, and rules, and, and laws, right? And, and I get it. I get it because the gospel is the gospel of grace, and we are gospel people here at City Church. But that doesn't, that doesn't lead us to throw out God's commands and say that they have no place in our lives. The scripture is authoritative. God is God, and he has the right to demand of each and every one of us whatever he will. Right? As God, as the one who made us, as the one who's redeemed us, as the one who shaped us. And our culture pushes back on this authority. But yet, it's through God's word that we experience freedom. Jesus told his disciples this you will know the truth. If you abide in my word and my words abide in you, you are really my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. We need this. We need freedom that comes from knowing the truth, internalizing the truth, reflecting on the truth, applying the truth. Because there are lies that we tend to believe. And under the bondage, the fears and the bondage that many of us walk in, there are lies that we have believed from Satan, lies that we have believed from the culture, lies that we rehearse and tell ourselves. And Jesus says the truth will set you free. So don't think that God's a a, a cosmic killjoy trying to minimize your joy. And he's trying, don't think that he's trying to minimize your freedom. He's trying to enlarge your heart. He's trying to give you freedom so you can be fully alive and experience abundant life. But it does, that does not, that that is not accompanied by a life of licentiousness and just do whatever you want. That's bondage. You live a life of licentiousness and you just go after the world, you go after the pleasures of the world and you will find yourself in bondage doing the very things that you don't wanna do because you thought you wanted to do them but then you start doing them and you're in bondage and you can't set yourself free. It's called addiction and I experienced that as a young age, all right? Now there are those who are in bondage to legalism and religion and they try to use religion to manipulate God and and stroke their ego and their pride by keeping the commands. Try to earn righteousness with God through keeping the commands. And the Bible doesn't teach that. It teaches that we're made right with God through faith. But the life of faith has action. 
Love has obedience. And here we're going to emphasize the relationship with God. Okay? Because it's the relation, it's the heart of loving God and loving others that he's, he's after. All right? And what that translates into obeying his commands. Love fulfills the law, the scripture says. So there's freedom. He says, I will run the way of your commands. When was the last time you resolved to give your energy like a runner? Okay, and I love to run, by the way. Now, I don't, I don't always feel like running. Okay, I don't always feel, there's a lot of times I don't feel like running. I went running last night. I went jogging last night for a few miles. And I sometimes have to press through. And as I do, it becomes for me, it becomes more enjoyable. Some call it a runner's high. I sweat, and it's like, yeah, I needed that. And, and many times I connect with the Lord as I'm re- reflecting on his word and prayer, and, and, and I'm connecting with the Lord as I run. But you know what? Running involves effort, right? It doesn't come by coasting. There is, there is energy and effort applied to any runner, okay? It's not like walk, Walking, and the psalmist does talk about walking in God's ways, right? Like, and that's just habitual day-to-day life. You don't have to think much in walking. It's just your habits. It's what you do. You're just walking. It's your way of life. But running involves some intentionality. It involves effort. It involves sweat. And here's some good news. As, a, as Christians, we don't have to do this in our own strength, and we don't have to do this to try to earn eternal salvation because we can't. Because there's only one person who has ran the race perfectly. That's Jesus. There's only one truly flawless and blameless person, and that is Jesus. And each of us who have tried, and we've put in all our effort to keep the commands, which isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. We've failed. We have fallen short of the glory of God, and we haven't measured up. But Jesus passed the test that Israel failed in their temptation to sin in the wilderness. Jesus passed the test that you and I have failed. And through faith, we get his perfect score, his perfect righteousness given to our lives. And I think that should free us up. That should free us up to run hard after God. The very thing he saved us for is to run for relationship with him and and run hard after his will for our lives. Which, by the way, let me just say uh, some passages of of scripture as a younger Christian that I immersed immersed myself in when I was battling with sin, specific sin struggles, is Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Great, great section of scripture. Like if you're wrestling, there are habits and struggles that you have that you need freedom from. Romans 6, 7, and 8 talk about sanctification, right? That, that gospel sanctification. But it's built on the justification by faith in chapters 4 and 5. And I remember as a young man feeling guilty and feeling ashamed because of my sin. A Christian man. Feeling guilty and and ashamed because, gosh, I am such a sinner. I mean, sometimes it just comes in waves of realization that, man, I'm I'm a wretch and I need grace. I need mercy. I need a Savior, right? We all do. Some of us need our eyes to be open to that. So we'll lean on him more. But I had one of those moments 
feeling guilty and ashamed on my floor before God in my apartment. And God brought me to Psalm 32, which is quoted in, in Romans 4, 4, about being justified by faith. David celebrated this truth of being forgiven, not, not based on our works. Abraham believed and he was accounted righteous. And, and Paul highlights this gospel truth. Sorry, this is, a, this is a rabbit trail worth going after here. We're justified by faith. All right, and God frees us up to run hard after him. Let me, let me just read this, uh, Derek Kinder, about this, this paradox of, of freedom and, and obeying God's word that we see here. The paradox that where God is master, service is perfect freedom is found not only in verse 96, noted as, as above, a commandment. Note the word is which is broader than anything on earth, but equally in verse 45, where liberty is found in God's precepts, not in release from them. Two elements of freedom are first, the breaking of sin's dominion as one's steps are steadied by the word, and secondly, mind-stretching encounter with a greater wisdom and vision than one's own. At liberty, verse uh, 45 means at large. It is like the broad place that David found in Psalm 18, 19. But in verse 32, it recalls the largest of mine, which Solomon was given. Moffat's paraphrase of this verse captures both aspects of its breath. I will obey thee eagerly as thou do open up my life. The next thing that we see here as a benefit of scripture is direction in life, Right? This is something we need all throughout our lives. We need guidance. We need direction. And the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. When it's dark and you're in the woods, you need a flashlight or you're going to stumble, all right, or some good moonlight, right? And we live in a dark world. We need light. We need guidance. Okay, we need direction. We, we need a map, all right, to find out where we are and where we're headed. You know, just recently, uh, uh, last month, I was, I was in Glen Rose, and I was uh, by myself at a state park, Dinosaur Valley, and it was one of those hot days, but there was some overcast. And so I decided I'm going to go for a hike in the morning. And I brought my hammock, and I posted up and had my time with the Lord. I got in the zone, focused on God. And just had a sweet time, okay? And I hadn't eaten breakfast, and then it was coming up on lunchtime, and I didn't bring very much water, all right? And so I started to get really thirsty, and I thought I was going to do a longer hike, and I was, I, I realized it's getting hot, the sun's coming back out, and I need to find out how to get back. So I needed a map, and all of a sudden, a map of the trail that I was on became very important to me, all right? Uh, especially when your phone, when your phone is dead, and there's you know GPSs or you lose battery, all of a sudden a map became important to me. So I found, thankfully, I found at one one point it showed me here's where you are, a picture with the map. Here's where you are, and here's how you need to get back. So I was able to get back quickly before I fainted from not having enough water, uh, feeling weak. And so the scriptures give us light, give us direction. They, they're like a map. They map out our course. They, they help us so that we're not wandering around. We are prone to wander in this world. 
We're, we're prone to, to wander away from God and away from his will for our lives. And we need direction. We need to take one step at a time as God's word gives us light. There's also wisdom and understanding that the scriptures give us. Psalm 130, uh, 119 verse 130 says, The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. God's word parts understanding to the simple. Is that encouraging to anyone else besides me? Like, I'm simple and I just need understanding. Like, make it plain to me, God. Tell me, tell me what you want for my life. Make it plain to me. God's word gives us that. Verse 98 and 99, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies for, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. God's word makes us wise. It gives us understanding. It lights our path. It gives us direction. It gives us peace and stability. Psalm uh, 119, 165 says, great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I just think about Jesus again in the boat. He's sleeping. He's at rest. There's a storm around him. He's not moved. He's at peace, right? He's at peace. There are, there are winds in, of, of doctrine and, and philosophies and opinions that we hear, voices that we hear in this world, and God's word helps stable us from being tossed around by what everybody else says is, is, is the story. And it gives us peace. If we start listening to those voices long enough, we lose peace. We get anxious. We get, we get, we get disoriented. But God's word stables us. It gives us peace, even in the midst of chaos. It also gives us hope. Verse 43, it says, uh, And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. Verse 81, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. 147, I rise before the dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. The psalmist experienced hope from the words of God. And in Romans chapter 15 in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Do you need hope today? God is offering to you an endless resource of hope and peace, and stability, and joy, and life through his word. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Remember what Jesus said? And resisting Satan, man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How arrogant it is for anyone to try to live independently of God's word in our lives. 
If, if God says we don't live by bread alone, how arrogant it is to say, God, I don't, I don't need your word. I got this. Lean on our own understanding, not stop to ask God for help. Verse 154 says, plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. And of course, the Psalms, these are the very words of God, and they point us to the very source of life himself. They're given to us so that we might know God. The scripture is revelation of God and his ways, his will. And so we also see within this psalm as we see a number of petitions and prayers. He says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. You see, the psalmist was aware of his tendency as the, as the hymn writer says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Here's my heart. Take it, seal it. He was, he was aware of his tendency to wander away from what God has demanded of his life. What God has said. And he prays, he says, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. He prays, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Make me to understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Now this is really important. Because God doesn't want us merely to engage our Bible and study it apart from prayer, okay? Apart from us communing with him. There are plenty of people who know the Bible but don't know the God of the Bible. There are plenty of people who can quote chapter and verse and even many of the Pharisees who knew the scriptures and memorized the first five books of the Bible, And Jesus says, you search the scripture because you think you'll find life in them, but you won't come to me that you might have it, obtain it. Because the scriptures point us to the very source of life, a relationship with him. And so what's needed as we open the Bible is not merely that we study it, not merely that we have a Bible, not merely that we open it and read it, not merely that we study it, not merely that we meditate on it, but that we obey it, we apply it to our lives. And as we're doing this, we need to pray what the psalmist prayed, open my eyes. We need to read the Bible supernaturally, as John Piper says. And talking about reading the Bible supernaturally. How do we do that? We can't. But we can pray and God can help us read the Bible supernaturally. He can assist us and help us see things that we wouldn't see if we were merely searching the scriptures for ourselves to find something good and wise. We can read the Bible supernaturally with God's help. With, by asking him, God, help me to see wondrous things in your law. God's word is wonderful. God is wonderful. And we're wired for wonder. We're wired for it. We will go to the ends of the earth to be amazed in all with wonder to see something. We will pay money for entertainment and movies to be awed at wonder and be like, wow. Right? Wow, did you see that? 
And God wants us to find that in him and in his word. And when we look at the creation and we see and we're awed and wonder of the, the great things in creation, he wants us to have our hearts go back to him and say, how great is our God, the one who made all this stuff. We don't worship this stuff. And so I love what the psalmist prays in verse 37. <clears throat> he says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. We live in a culture that is saturated with screen time and has set before us worthless things, nudity, profanity, violence, and we just take it in like it's not going to affect us at all. Let's just watch it. It's okay. Kids, it's okay. You can watch this. Close your eyes here. It's fine. We take it in, and yet it defiles us. It affects us. It influences us. It desensitizes us. It spoils our appetite for the things of God because we're so filled with the things of this world. And so he prays, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. When's the last time you prayed that? I love this prayer. And anytime my heart feels drawn or inclined to do so, this is a go-to verse for me. Turn my eyes from looking at wor worthless things. Incline my art, heart to your testimonies. Give me understanding. Here's... Charles Spurgeon talking about the necessity of Bible reading and prayer being accompanied together. He says, we may hammer away at a text sometimes in meditation and strike it again and again, and yet it may not yield to us. But we, but we cry to God and straightway to the text opens, and straightway the text opens and we see concealed in it wondrous treasures of wisdom and of grace to read it only is unprofitable. To pray without reading is not so soul-enriching. But when the two run together, they are like horses pulling the chariot and they speed along rightly, right merrily. Charles Spurgeon. And so let's read the Bible prayerfully, expecting God to open our eyes to see wonderful things. As Paul prayed, for the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, he prayed that the Ephesians, that the eyes of their hearts would be opened to, to, to see, to know the hope of their calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, the power that works towards us who believe. We need our eyes open. Perhaps if we're bored with the Bible, our eyes are dim and they need to be opened by God. And we need to ask God, open my eyes to see wonderful things, wondrous things. In your word, the Bible's not wondrous, wonderful, sweet, and a treasure to us, then we need our eyes open. And so let me close in some application. Saturate yourself in the Bible by reading it, listening to it, studying it, meditating upon it, loving it, obeying it, and commit to a Bible reading plan. We can use technology for this. We can, while, while we're driving down the road, there's an app called the Dwell app, right? And it has nice, beautiful music accompanied in the background. You can select the version you want. And you can, while you're driving the work, you can play 
Bible and just have an engagement with the Bible as you're driving down the road. Uh, the YouVersion Bible app, I love that. You can get any translation you want. Uh, and there's, there's, some great <clears throat> there's some great devotions and b- ways to interact with the Bible, uh, some, some Bible reading plans connected with that. And I, I've, I've found, how many of y'all have a parents um, or adults, a meal plan? Anybody, any planners here, you have a meal plan? You're like, okay, we're going to have this and this throughout the week. My wife has done that, especially when school, school time starts back up. This is what we're going to have, right? And, the, and, and one of the reasons why we have a meal plan is that if we don't have a plan and it comes dinner time and there's no plan, then like we're just, we're, we're, we're kind of trying to make it work last minute. It's like, oh, let's just go out to eat. Or, or I guess we're stuck with um, sandwiches, right? Or whatever, you know, it's like we, we, we don't get desirous results when we don't plan, right? We're, we just, we, we're subject to uh, undesirable changes and, and, and making decisions last minute that, that aren't desirable. And so committing to a Bible reading plan will help us uh, just steady ourselves in regular Bible reading, all right? And so whether, you, whether that's one chapter or two chapters, uh, a day in Bible school, there was uh, somebody who used to always say, "If you just read two chapters a day and four on Sunday, you'll go through the Bible every year. Two chapters a day, four on Sunday, right?" Um, and there's there's just some there's some great plans out there that you can follow along and use to journey through the Bible. And then also journal insights and prayers that you're getting from Scripture. I think one of the ways that we can steward the words that we read in Scripture is to write them down. I mean, like if you're <clears throat> If you have a, a, an important meeting and, and somebody's sharing things with you, this is a, a gifted leader, uh, and, and I mean, are you, are you going to write down what they're saying? Are you going to take note? By doing so, it, it expresses value, and I care, and I don't want to forget this, so I'm writing it down. And what I have found that when I steward well what God has said in his word and what he allows me to see, he gives me more light. He gives me more understanding. He gives me more uh, uh, insight. Jesus said this. He said, if he who has my commandments and keeps them, John 14, 21, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Okay? And so if we want to have the lid taken off and our eyes opened up, let us not only pray for God to open our eyes, not only read and study and meditate, but obey what God has said, clearly what is clearly known. And lastly, memorize scripture that addresses your current struggles and desired areas of growth. What are those areas in life that you're really struggling with now? Is it anxiety, fear? There's lots of scriptures that will address that. Is it, is it finances, how to steward finances well? There's lots of scriptures that address that. Is it uh, relationships? There's a lot of scriptures that address relationships. Forgiveness? There's a lot of scriptures that address that. And so highlight, find, find those places in scripture that you most need in your life to be uh, lived out and experienced and memorize them. Write them down on a little two-by-five card. That's something that I started doing early on. Folks like uh, Mr. Dick Wakeman who since I've known him, he's always carried a little, little verse pack with him. 
that where, where he, he'll write down scriptures and he still memorizes scripture at 84 years old and he has numerous scriptures tucked away, stored away in his heart, all right? So, so he can teach others with them so that he can live a life that honors God. And that's something that I've started doing too early on in my walk with the Lord. And I write them down in my journal and, and I, I find that when I write them down and I, and I look over them, they, they tend to stick with me better. Recently, a couple months ago, my son came to me and he said, and this just delighted my heart as a father. My son came to me, my 12-year-old now. He said, Dad, do you have any verses on integrity? Like I, I want to memorize and, and get familiar with, with a, a good verse on integrity and I just, I love that he even cared about that. Like, how many 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds are, who care about that? Oh, I want to do what's right when nobody else is looking, right? And, 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 and so, man, I was like, yeah. Like, and I just showed him how to search, you know, the word integrity in the Bible. One specifically came to my mind in Proverbs 10, 9. He who walks with integrity walks securely. He who walks with integrity walk securely. And he's like, yeah, that's a good one. And so let's do that. Find those, those verses that, that are, are most pertain or, and seem to be most relevant to what you're going through because the Bible addresses it and will provide help, strength, wisdom, guidance, would guard us as we immerse ourselves in it. And lastly, meditate on scripture to grow in your personal relationship with God. God forbid that we should be students of the Bible, people of the book, but not know the God of the Bible. God forbid, because that's possible. And so our Bible reading, our Bible study, our theology that we're accumulating should end in communion with God and worship and praise of God. At the end of Romans chapter 11, when the Apostle Paul had just unpacked some very dense theological statements in, in, in the book of Romans, he expresses this doxology, this, doxology, this praise. And he says, you know, um, <clears throat> let me just read it. Let's close with this. Gabe, can you pull it up? We'll read it together. Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33. 33 through 36. If you all would stand with me. Let's, let's make this our praise and our prayer. Our theology should lead us to doxology. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures. 